0: Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney over there. Steve, how you doing? And today is Halloween, so we're doing a special Halloween episode featuring a piece by Edgar Allan Poe. Super um,
1: scary Halloween.
0: Super scary Halloween. Ooh. Right. Uh, so yeah, happy Halloween to everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Poe has a special place here at Microphones of Madness because. Not only is he one of the progenitors of the genre we enjoy reviewing so much, but he's also- What genre little, is that? What genre is that? Um, uh, strange macabre tales of weird crap.
1: <laughs> that is pretty much what we do.
0: That's right. And uh, he's also a point of pride for both Steve and myself, being I'm in Baltimore, and you're in Boston. 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 And both cities lay a claim to him, but we killed him.
1: <laughs> yeah, you bastards. <laughs> I actually have a picture of his uh, grave marker that my dad took. It's, it's mm-hmm. on my, the wall above my desk. So I stare at his November 17th, 1875, all day long.
0: All day long. And and the Poe Toaster still has not... Uh, decided to make a reappearance, so I guess it was that guy that died a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting story. There used to be a guy who every year would uh, bring uh, what was it, like absinthe or something?
0: Uh, cognac, cognac some, some, and
1: a some rose. highfalutin Wesley shit to uh, the grave marker to um, celebrate you know, Poe, celebrate his yeah his, his career because Edgar Allan Poe not only is the key the progenitor of this but he actually has managed to stay above the reputation that uh most weird fiction gets as genre fiction Mm -hmm. um and and you know an aside not only is he the the the, one of the the inventors of weird fiction but he's also one of the inventors of detective fiction Mm -hmm. uh lesser known, i mean he, he wrote
0: one of the first the detective stories. He wrote one of the, the, of course, some of the first horror fiction of the time, and I think one of the reasons why he keeps his reputation as a grand literary figure is because he wrote for the reputable um, pieces at the time. He, a lot of his stuff was published in like newspapers and
1: then more upscale, I suppose, magazines. Yes, such as um, this one, which was published in, um, what's it called? The Burton's Gentleman's Qu- Magazine.
0: Right, which I believe was probably something different back in Poe's day. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: Mr. Burton, your Gentleman's Magazine has arrived.
0: I, I definitely don't read it for the lithographs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because like a lot of modern horror was written for gentlemen's magazines as well, such as Playboy.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Playboy. And of course, you know, the, the classics of the pulps. Yeah. So. And, and later comics a, and whatnot. A fine tradition. The fine tradition. Fine, fine tradition. Of course, we are talking about the fall of the House of Usher.
1: That's right. It's the tragic story of a rapper r&b singer man is there, really the dot on the dot. <laughs> is there a difference these days not really I mean, well back uh, in usher's day it was it's just how much i know about r&b past 1982 and rap past 1992 so there you go cheers the fall of the
0: house of usher is a pretty short piece uh, it is about a gentleman who rushes to an old childhood friend's house, once receiving a letter saying, I'm deathly ill. Please come and hang out and watch some Netflix with me. That's right. Make me feel better. I need to do some self-care. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 19th century version. Right. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's a, an old moneyed friend of his. You know? hmm he and his sister live in this this mansion uh which is their family mansion so it is literally the house of usher and they're the last in the line of the of the line of of ushers so they are the last of the house of usher as well Mm -hmm. and and poe makes a really interesting uh
0: little side statement in the introduction to the story uh, which is uh, clearly three quarters of the story is the build up to this one singular moment.
1: Yeah, it's this big slow burn. I mean, it's it's structurally like that. Just it's it's classic. It's just like this, everything just starts to, to build and build and build until it's all released at the right. end. Right, and there right. will be so, spoilers because you know, man, this fucking story this- older than anybody.
0: Right. If you haven't read Fall of the House of Usher, pause the podcast. Uh, It's available pretty much everywhere. I think you can get an actual version of the story read by Christopher
1: Lee on YouTube. Or you can go buy the Lou Reed album, The Raven, and there's Mm -hmm. an eight minute song called The Fall of the House of Usher, which pretty much sums it all up. Right.
0: And And that's got um,
1: Willem Dafoe.
0: And that's got Willem Dafoe. Dafoe. Willem
1: Dafoe as Waterick.
0: And there's also uh, a Poe animated film that breaks, uh, goes into several of his stories. Christopher Lee uh, narrates
1: Fall of House of Usher in that one as well. Yeah, so there you go. It's a very influential piece, and uh, everyone, um, everyone pretty much knows it. And, and like we said earlier, you know, it is part of American letters. Mm-hmm. Very um, much so. There- And this is not an obscure piece by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Right. Um, I I remember studying it in seventh grade. Yeah. It was part of literature class. Yeah. So our hero. Now, of course, this is written in the very Poe style. Um, Poe, also a man who never met an adjective that he didn't like. (laughs) And stylistically it was it's it's a bit rough because we're, we're we've been reading uh like sean thompson who uses very blunt language and poe is well known for using very uh floral language irises to be exact
1: but that was the style of the time oh yeah definitely was the style of the time um and you know you you complained about lovecraft doing that because lovecraft is emulating that
0: right right and and it's true he, he was emulating that rather than the more modern writing styles he was going back in time to recapture
1: that vibe that poe had you can almost say that a lot of lovecraft is poe pastiche. <laughs> <laughs> you could say it it wouldn't be true but you could say it and make an argument um and piss least...
0: off certain certain critics who's yeah
1: well those people deserve to
0: rhymes that. with yoshi but this is one of the classics of the genre um this morning i actually read it aloud for uh mia and the and the kids so i was able to cheat and make my own audiobook of sorts
1: (laughs) well you you were laughing but poe in general uh, the floral language he's also mm-hmm. a, a, a poet a, an accomplished poet yes um Poe's work is very lyrical mm-hmm. uh, um, actually it was lovecraft i believe mm-hmm. who who said that um stories like usher telltale heart um their poetry and everything but meter
0: right right so, what, what was yeah, that in uh, supernatural yeah. horror and literature
1: yeah yeah reading it out loud makes perfect sense um there's certain authors that you get so much more when you read them out loud uh william s burroughs i would put in that category and and Edgar Allan Poe, that most definitely
0: Uh, yeah yeah i mean especially especially with his proper poetry uh reading it out loud like you know the bells annabelle Uh lee the raven um you know the raven is is rather interesting as well, but we're not talking about that because that's very cliche this time of year Yeah, nevermore <laughs> Now our hero who has no name now uh, this right. is this is epistolary in style uh, He's recounting this story to Somebody right who gives a damn Goes to visit his friend Roderick Usher, who has complained that he has been beset upon by an unusual sort of malady of he, mind.
1: He has daredevil's disease. He's basically um, like an invalid, blue blood daredevil. Which kind is of Bruce. S- he's Bruce Wayne, which is the same. Um, a sickness, I guess, that the narrator from A Telltale Heart has. Um, all of his senses ha- have been heightened to the point where, um, any input is painful to him. Right. So he has to subsist on the blandest food. Um, he, can, he can't have bright light. Um, music, um, gives him, you know, grates on him, and he can only, um, experience certain um forms of of sensory input like he some uh string music he can listen to string music, right only certain some, types of string music, right and it looks like guitar because he plays guitar and mm-hmm. um you know he so he he's miserable so he's got like this this everything's heightened but he doesn't instead of going around fighting crime with his radar senses he's um Confined himself to his family manse, right with his sister, with his with twin his, sister,
0: with his twin and sister who has uh, taken on this weird disease of the body. Right. As Roderick is diseased in the mind, Madeline is
1: diseased in her body. Right, and and it might it must also <clears> be said that the physical actual house that they live in um, is, is also diseased. Um, it's got fungus growing into the the framework of the house itself mm-hmm.
0: um the house itself is also crumbling into ruin
1: right uh, because of this fungus it's it's hugely old and there is a crack um that the narrator notices a very faint like subtle crack but it's pointed out to you uh, yes. that goes from the top all the way down um into uh, he makes it sound like it goes down and the house is built on a, um, next to a tarn, a, a, a lake. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes it sound like the crack because it's reflected in, in the waters of this tarn goes down into the earth itself. So like the, it's, it's almost like the very roots of the house and the inhabitants of the house are just corrupted. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and he makes a note when he points out the crack that, you know, the crack would not be perceivable unless you had very sharp eyes like myself. Right. (laughs) Now Roderick in his, in his isolation has developed uh, an interesting theory of what might be the source behind the, the maladies of the Usher clan. And that is regarding vegetable sentience. Um, yes. He believes that it is the the fungus that is rotting the house is also rotting them via their own psychic link to the land
1: I, itself or something. I I think if if you take the word fungus and use it as a metaphor for incest, <laughs> you well, might be right. You know, Poe <laughs> also <laughs> says that
0: the line of Usher is pretty straight.
1: Yeah. So there's like, there's this huge, like, unstated implication that uh, the twins might be uh, the result of of twins, twinning and doing stuff. Yeah. Um, There's, it's definitely implied there's a lot of inbreeding going on. Right. There's very
0: little variation in this ancient and old family. Right. And... Our nameless narrator, we'll call him Frank,
1: uh, spends his time in the house trying to entertain Roderick. Right, just trying to keep his mind off of of things. They were they were childhood friends. They were really good friends when they were kids. Right, right, and
0: yeah, he's just trying to enter- entertain him, take his mind off of it. You know, they right. paint together, they read together. He lives. But, he just- and it doesn't help. In fact, he becomes more. He starts coming out a little bit, but then suddenly retreats again because Madeline, in her, finally succumbs to her illness. Right. And because the doctors are like, well, you know, we really want to know what's going on here. Um, let's chop her up into little bits and see if we can figure it out. Because we're men of science. And that's what we must do. Roderick does not want them to desecrate her body. Right. To the whims of science.
1: Well, you know, Pietro would never do that to the Scarlet Witch.
0: That's true. (laughs) That's true. That's ultimate marvel for those who uh, didn't catch that reference. (laughs) So they put madeline's body into a coffin and drag it down into the lowest depths of the house of usher um that was
1: once a dungeon or there's there's a convenient mausoleum that they use for just such purposes right exactly (laughs) also happens to be uh directly below the apartments that uh fred frank is frank sorry that frank is staying in Mm -hmm. well once she dies um if you thought things couldn't get any gloomier in this place you were absolutely wrong. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> once once she dies all the bets are off with poor Roderick he sinks into an even more sullen depression. Yeah. Um his his pallor becomes even more corpse-like his cheeks more sunken his eyes lose their gleam and he stares off into empty space like he's his attention is wrapped on something that Frank cannot perceive right and then the storm comes right
1: the the storm comes and uh Roderick comes comes to Frank's apartments right which Frank has been sitting sitting there in the bed he
0: can't sleep because he feels that the spirit of the house is oppressing on him right that he and, is coming down with the same malady as his buddy Roderick.
1: So he, what he does is he grabs the first thing that he can get his hands on to read to Roderick to to mm-hmm. kind of like calm his nerves. And he, he says, oh, it's your favorite book. But it's not.
0: It's just the first thing. That, the only book right. that's on the shelf in that room. Right. And it's and, like an airport fantasy novel.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's the tale of uh, Sir Lancelot. And, um, in this story, a knight goes into a house, uh, for, I, I can't even remember what the reason was, but, um, it ends up being a dragon's lair instead of a regular house, mm-hmm. you know, like, like happens, you know, just one illusion spell and, you know, whoops. And, um, the events in the story start becoming parallel to the effects of the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point when the hero is battling the dragon, uh, you hear a large crack coming from beneath them and banging. And uh which freaks Roderick out. Mm-hmm.
0: Also freaks Frank out a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 uh what, eighteen well was this published? Eighteen thirty-nine? Something like that. It's eighteen thirty-nine. You're addicted to opium.
0: Right. You're boozing <laughs> it up.
1: <laughs> and uh, you know the guy's dead sister is right below you. There's a huge storm going on, and you're reading this like metaphoric fantasy that's reflecting on the real world. Mm-hmm. I'd be a little spooked too. Right. Long story short, um, As he finishes the story, the door flies open, and there is Madeline. Mm -hmm. Straight out of another post story. Right. Well, actually, before that, Roderick
0: has a freak out. He loses all of his sanity points and goes into a monologue. You know, he's just talking to himself that uh, he realizes that he has buried his beloved and poor Madeline alive. Yes.
1: How he comes to this conclusion, no one knows. Well, we do know because he has heightened sentences and he can hear everything.
0: Right. And he hear, he heard her struggling in the coffin and her escape from the coffin and ascent from the dungeon into the apartments where Frank and Roderick are. Uh, Punctuated by the sound effects of the story. He's been sitting there listening the whole time. And hearing it. And ignoring the story he's being told. To get his mind off of everything. And he's just waiting. Because he believes that Madeline is coming
1: for her vengeance. Yep. Because it's a post story. And that's how they work. That's right. Um, She actually... It's hard to say if if it's vengeance um, or if it's just because they're just all intertwined so closely. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: she bursts through the door and kind of falls into Roderick's arms. Uh, she expires from the exertion on her body and Roderick is just poops himself and dies of fright.
1: Yeah, Roderick dies. And as uh, Frank... is leaving the house uh the house the crack just blows itself wide open and the Mm -hmm. house the house itself literally falls apart
0: Mm -hmm. into the into the lake to be covered and never seen again
1: so yikes very strange ending i mean i guess that's why it's a weird tale yeah i would say so um now, apparently, there, this ending has troubled many people um, as to what the fuck just is going on. And Which
0: I think is exactly why Poe wrote it the way he did, because that was the whole purpose of it, is for you to say at the end, what the fuck just happened.
1: Right. And then, then to, to think about why would events play out like this i mean we definitely have themes that we see in other stories we have the buried alive theme which happens Mm -hmm. a few times in poe we have like the overexcited senses theme we have decaying um bloodlines Mm
0: -hmm. we also have um descent into madness from guilt
1: right oh yeah 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 yeah. it's we'll go back to lovecraft because in uh, in his essay, Lovecraft postulates that um, it all makes sense because they all share the same soul, mm-hmm. which which um, isn't as much of a cop out as as it seems like on the surface, because the way the story is written, Edgar Allan Poe makes great pains to tie everything together. Um, there's so many different um levels of metaphor going on mm-hmm. that what happens it's an as above so below kind of situation where when something happens to one of these three it happens to all of them
0: mm-hmm.
1: um where, where you the, the most obvious thing is you have the decaying state of the house which is right. reflected in the decaying state of the bloodline which is um, roderick's um condition and madeline's illness
0: Right, and it also seems that the land itself is in a perpetual state of decay as well. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it's not a lush green forest and a clear, calm pond, lake that it's sitting in. It's like, um, you know, all the trees are dead. the The lake is stagnant. It's and lifeless and the house is slowly becoming that too. I mean, fungus usually grows on something that is dying or yeah, dead.
1: That's dead. Yeah, exactly. Which um, is
0: its pur- purpose in nature,
1: right? And I think the the big clue um to take the story this way is just in the in the very beginning when when Frank uh, comes upon the house, the first thing he he talks about is how it's reflected in this lake. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, to me, that's just a clue that you have to look at everything, um, and how it how it relates to everything else, how it how you know it's reflected, so to speak, metaphorically.
0: Right, right. I mean, even the uh, the title is a double entendre: "The Fall of the House of Usher," because the house itself fell, as did the family the family line. Mm-hmm. yep so there's a lot of and and even with the twins, they're they're reflected as well um, the mind-body dichotomy where Roderick is is decaying in his mind and Madeline is decaying in body. Right. And we even have Frank as as a representative of a quote unquote healthy mind in there, and sudden and slowly he starts
1: to decay. Right. Which is um It's interesting because I guess back then you had this idea that mental illness was communicable.
0: Yeah, I
1: I suppose Uh, so. uh, Like, like, like a like you know a cold, Mm -hmm. Um, and and if if you were to hang around people who who were insane, you'd catch it and go insane yourself,
0: right? Um, Catch it, go insane yourself, and. And it would just spread, and right. that's one of the reasons why this this type of communicable madness always occurs in some lonely and desolate place, because you know we don't want this madness spreading, yes.
1: spread to the world. Well, you know? it's it's funny because like if you if you're around people who experience mental illness, um, it, it isn't communicable, not in that sense. Mm -hmm. but that feeling is definitely shared um you know when someone you're close to is depressed you know it can't help you can't help but have that rub off on you and and it doesn't necessarily mean that oh now you're clinically depressed right but it does mean that your moods are affected by those around you especially if it's people that you come into contact with a lot and people that you love well, sure.
0: And plus, you have also the phenomenon of mass hysteria where, you know, it's not like a virus that goes around, but it kind of acts like one. Right. And and of course, you know, they would believe that this would be some type of malady that could mm-hmm. be cured through various things and, and now with <laughs> opium.
1: Through opium.
0: Booze. <laughs> I mean, Poe himself you know, is said to have suffered from some very severe depression. Yep. And and he self-medicated with a lot of opium okay. and, and a <laughs> lot of booze as well.
1: Yes. He led a tragic life.
0: Yes. The tragic tragic is kind of an understatement. I think. Yeah. Baltimore fucking killed him. <laughs> like yeah, so man, many. He, he, he succumbed <laughs> to... Uh, I mean, we don't really know... That was one of the great mysteries of of Baltimore City. Um, Possibly one of the great mysteries of the literary world is the exact nature of Poe's death. Right. No one really knows exactly how Poe died. They just know they found his body in a gutter.
1: At least they found his body. Right. Bierce just... Vanished. Vanished. But...
0: You know, I it, it's hard to say whether or not Poe's outlook on life was bleak because he could write things of great beauty as well. I mean, Annabelle Lee is a is a you know a little bit somber and a little bit morose, but still a rather full of rather beautiful
1: imagery. Well, I mean, he wrote things like The Gold Bug, which is just pure comedy, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the Purloin Letter, which is you know, it's, it's a, it's a detective story. It's not macabre at all. Right. He definitely was able to, you know, to, uh, write to the genre that he was writing in. Mm. -hmm. Um, and you could still tell it was Poe. Right. Um, but, but, you know, he was talented enough that it it wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to write a story about, uh, ballooning and it's, got would be gloomy as shit, because it's just not like that. Right, right. But
0: I I I don't think that Poe gets a lot of the credit for writing the non-gloomy stuff.
1: No, um, he doesn't, because he's he's mostly known for things like The Raven mm-hmm. um and the Telltale Heart. Fall of House of Usher.
0: Fall of the House of Usher, yeah. Pit and the Pendulum and and mm-hmm. things of this nature. And those are his most famous stories. Right. But yeah, as a as a career writer, he was more akin to Bobby Howard, who would come later and write in all sorts of genres. He was a working writer.
1: Well, I think it, it's mainly because um, we dwell upon the the macabre aspects of his works, uh, because those are the most accessible.
0: Right, and I think I think it's also because of the macabre
1: aspects of his life, and, and also. We also, uh you know, as a podcast, concentrate a lot on, on those things. Right. Because we're a couple of macabre motherfuckers ourselves. That's right. I'm totally macabre. I'm so fucking goth. (laughs) I'm so fucking goth. I shit lace. (laughs) Yeah, well, I shit bombazine, so fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh that's the fall of the house of usher Now, did you ever see the
1: Vincent Price film? No, I no. try to avoid that stuff. You try to avoid that stuff film adaptations? I I I really, you know, I really don't like film adaptations mm-hmm. very much. Um and especially those because they take so many liberties. I understand that film is a different medium blah blah blah. But these these film adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe don't seem to care at all about anything that has anything to do with the original source material.
0: Right, right. It's been a while since I've seen the Vincent Price film, but it's far closer to the source than The Raven was.
1: Yeah, the Raven was like—that's the one I saw. That's got Peter Lorre in it, right? It's got Peter Lorre and a very young Jack Nicholson. Yeah, it just—I, it's—I'm not as much of a film person as most people are. Mm -hmm. Um, just yeah, I'm not as—I don't look forward to things coming out on film. Well, I think, I think me personally horror as a genre
0: works better in text because you know you you get lured into this false sense of security with film where you have just jump scares or you get so many sequels that they turn into absurdist
1: comedy right well it's also harder to get into people's minds um Mm -hmm. in film because you without making it look ridiculous and have a monologue right um, going on and um, and really that's where the horror a lot of the time is in these things right. are because um, in, because you in have characters in mind. minds
0: right the narrator's and, mind you can't have and, an omniscient narrator describing the scene of cosmic horror and it'd be scary because it's just you know that that third person is just giving it a clinical overview and kind of insane thing with movies the camera is clinical it, it you know you can direct it a certain way
1: you can obscure things but it's still not you know with with a with a film you kind of it's kind of show me mm-hmm. show me and, and if you have to like um obscure the monster in darkness or shrouded or whatever it just seems like it's not worth it when you can I'd much rather have like the undescribable semi-described on paper mm-hmm you know and, and fill in the blanks in my head and and you know enjoy it that way then like have like it you know something slithering out and chasing people around
0: or or you know fucking gore scenes that are right out of gray's anatomy
1: yeah i mean there's really only so much you can do and you have to rely on jump scares and gore um you know some people do it really well and create tension and everything but i think a lot of that is stuff that is created um as a film as mm. opposed to at adapting uh stuff like edgar Allan poe or hp lovecraft or whatever
0: right right no i totally agree there because if, if you think about it some of the greatest horror movies are not actually based on any type of literary material right
1: or they're loosely based on like a genre or an idea
0: we're looking at you from beyond <laughs> yeah well, i mean that was just ridiculous
1: <laughs> but but like a film like um like the void mm-hmm. i thought did a really good job of creating that tension i don't know if you saw that one no and it really yeah. has absolutely nothing to do with anything um but it, it was really good it was you know it was about a cult in this little town that um was based out of a hospital Hmm. Um and they did a really good job of with like creep factor and everything. And you know, of course it had jump scares and all that in it, but as as it did a good job of peeling back the onion, mm-hmm. so to speak. Right. Um, which I don't right. think a lot a lot of these um movies are able to do very well.
0: Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they just concept. Sometimes they just come up with an original concept and just fail.
1: Yeah. I'd much rather have them do that, have an original concept that fails Mm -hmm. um, than, like, butcher something that, you know, that I've read. Right. Adaptation decay. Yeah. Which is, it's funny, because like, all these people, and I haven't watched it, and I probably won't, are so upset over this uh, uh, Haunting of Hill House on Mm -hmm. Netflix. Um, Right and a lot of it's you know because it plays fast and loose with the source material and the ending is like doesn't pay off very well i'm just you know if they had called it something else would you be as upset about it or if they had like made a haunted house story and because it it almost sounds like they made a haunted house story called it that and maybe drew elements from it but that's going to happen anyway Mm-hmm. You could have just called it like um, whatever the address of the house was, <laughs> twenty seven Elm Way. Oh, Elm Way. Yeah, made it in like you know spooky, spooky font. So, ooh, that blood dripping and, font. Yeah, and and you know pass it off as like this spooky haunted house story. Maybe people wouldn't be complaining as as horribly. Yeah. So there you but go. I don't know because I, I, I haven't watched the movie. So. Yep. Or the- I,
0: I haven't either. Mia, Mia watched it and she seemed to enjoy it, but she had not read the
1: book. So Except, there you go. <clears throat> I trust Mia's opinion more than I will trust other people's opinions. I have to. <laughs> I guess it's public.
0: It's in the it's in the contract. <laughs> it, Man not, yeah. I am directly man obligated obligated <laughs> to uh, honor my wife's opinion.
1: What is the difference between honoring her opinion and buying into her opinion? No, well, true. That's
0: why I'm not saying anything about my opinion of Haunting of Hill House because <laughs> I watched I watched part of one episode and I was like, "What the fuck is going on?"
1: Well, I mean, you come into something like that in the middle of an episode, you right? Never know. I was like, ah, no nah, hard pass. You got to watch from the beginning with something like that.
0: I'll go. I'll go watch Tremors instead.
1: Yeah, and that's <laughs> my movie.
0: Yeah. All right. So that was the fall of the House of Usher, plus some commentary on on modern horror. So join us next time for a surprise for a surprise it's always a surprise these days that's true but this is a really cool surprise yeah this is a really good surprise you'll like the next episode uh and once again happy halloween everyone
1: yeah happy halloween and uh what are you dressing up this year as
0: i'm dressing up as a homicidal maniac they look like everyone else
1: awesome (laughs) i'm dressing off as a pissed off american Ah, because you know it's the least amount of effort on my part.
0: I'll life. be doing that the week after <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> because that, that costume will—that costume would be on discount.
1: <laughs> don't forget to
0: vote. That's right. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Have a happy Halloween. Don't forget to vote. Blue wave, motherfuckers. That's right. <laughs> and now that half of our subscribers have left, keep thirty luck points. Yeah, well, I don't care about those guys. (laughs) Good night, everybody. See ya.